Hello, and welcome to the Improving Always podcast. We're back uh, after a couple weeks uh, hiatus, uh, but we're back, and we're going to be, uh, you know, doing episodes weekly from uh, from now on. Uh, now that we've sorted a couple things out, um, so yeah, we're going to hop right in. Today's topic is the mental side of the game. So obviously, um, I got popular originally by talking about you know the mental side of the game and. Uh, and mental training. Um, and that's something that I still post about pretty much every day, uh, if not multiple times a day. Um, and I just wanted to start this off with uh, a little bit of a story um, that kind of made me start taking uh, the mental side of the game seriously. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Dimitri and Noblet will have their own, their own stories, uh, you know, about this kind of thing, because I think all athletes do, uh, no matter how great you are, uh, you do have mental struggles at some point in your career. I'd be shocked if there's any athlete who didn't. Um, so one of the big moments for me was, um, I had always, you know, dealt with, uh, nerves and anxiety, uh, before games, uh, in the lead up to games after games, uh, you know, going over my performance, being super critical of myself. Um, I've always been been kind of like that in pretty much all areas of my life. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> even though I, you know, even when I had a good game, I'd be thinking about the things that I didn't do quite as well. Um, and it kind of came to a head in one game where, um, I had not played my best game, uh, it was a cup game in England. Um, and uh, went to a penalty shootout. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, leave the 90 minutes or 120 minutes, I guess, uh, behind. Um, I'm, I'm going to take a penalty. I was the first one, you know, stepped up, feeling really, really good until I put the ball down on the spot. And all of a sudden, you know, it was like uh, so many emotions and thoughts racing through my head. Uh, and it just overwhelmed me. I could hardly, you know, stand back up take steps back, walk up to the ball and shoot. And, you know, of course I was going to miss, I was going to miss from the moment I put the ball down on the spot um, because I had gotten in my head. Um, and the, the day after I was like, or, you know, even moments after, but the day after I woke up and I was like, you know, I've, I've dealt with this to varying degrees before never dealt with something quite as extreme as that. What can I do? Um, so, you know, I was, uh, I was in university at the time, uh, ended up talking to, um, you know, I was doing a sports degree as well. So I ended up talking to, um, someone who was, you know, uh, had an expertise in the area of sports psychology. Um, and we, you know, talked about a, a bunch of different, uh, stuff. Um, and, uh, I'm not saying that, you know, you can change your whole perspective in a week. Um, but just realizing a few things and starting to employ a couple strategies, um, you know, changed my whole perspective pretty much overnight. And even though it's been a, you know, it's been a process since then, it hasn't been, uh, you know, one week and then I was good. I've had to work on this stuff, uh, while I was playing and, you know, afterwards, um, and it's not always smooth sailing, uh, but, the week after I missed a penalty and played one of the worst games I've probably ever played in my life, I had the best game I have ever played in my life. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's a really important message for, for young players because when I was, you know, when I was younger, I'd have problems with confidence. Um, and whenever I asked, you know, how do you improve your confidence? The only answer I would ever get was, just be more confident because it seems like no one has more of an answer than that. Um, but I think that's really, really harmful because basically it's saying if you're not confident already, you can't get there. And I just think that is absolutely not true. Confidence is 100% something that you can build and develop and grow. Um, and, you know, the mental side of the game is super important uh, for a lot of athletes. And it's something that's just not talked enough, uh, for me, uh, uh, talked enough about for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I completely, completely agree with everything that you said. Um, you have so any what... stories about, uh, <laughs> yourself stories? being stressed? 
Uh, circle back to me. I'm sure I'd have a million. Um, but let, give me a second to think. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have any stories, but I will say that it does seem that mental doubt and all these things are something that happens in all athletes, even the best athletes. I mean, I've played in games where I've stepped on the field knowing I am the best player on the field. I knew it for a fact. And then I'll get out on the field and I'll start wondering, do the players out here think I suck? Do they think I'm terrible? It's like, I'm doing rainbows over these guys. So (laughs) it's, that's not what's happening, but my brain will still go there. And I think that the reality is, is one of the things you have to do as a player is remember, there's always a next play. There's always a next game. So even if I take a bad touch, even if it's a really bad touch, let's say I score an own goal of my team. Well, I got to pick myself up and play the next play because if I don't, I could miss out on scoring a goal to make up for that own goal and all those things. And that's something that I've always really, really just harped on is it's okay that I make mistakes. What I'm worried about more is the next play. Because a point that I've made before is if let's say we have the two best club teams in the world or whoever you guys think it is playing against each other. And if every player just like stood still and stopped after they made a mistake, all 22 players would be stopped. I think within 25 minutes, like I don't even think it would take that long. I doubt it would take that long. Yeah. It depends how, how big a mistake yeah. it has to be, right? Unless may, unless maybe it's a team of 11 Dimitris versus 11 Dimitris, then the games, we're probably playing 120 minutes right there. Um, and but aside, aside from that, <laughs> it'd be 11 Dimitris versus 11 Mies. We'd play, <laughs> we'd play to infinity and it would just be, actually, maybe I would nick you because of goalkeeping. Because I don't know True. if you're a goalkeeper. <laughs> he was a goalkeeper way <laughs> back in the day. Way, way back in the day. And then I broke your finger Legend. and then you never played in net again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. One thing that helped me a lot uh, dealing with mistakes, because it, very, it is very easy to you know make one mistake and all of a sudden you know, you're thinking about that mistake. So I played um, up front in the, the better years of my career. Um, so as, a, as an attacking player, you know, you miss one chance and it's very easy to be like, to think about that chance over and over and over and over and over again. I can still remember some of the bad misses, um, you know, that I had in my career, uh, even now, uh, after, you know, trying to, to move on from them. I don't, you know, think about them as much. Um, but, uh, obviously, you know, it, it happens. Um, just like, I think anyone, in, in the world, in no matter what they're doing, we'll think about mistakes that they've made years and years ago. Um, and I think that uh, one thing that really helped me was uh, recognizing that. Um, so after the penalty, for example, um, I missed a penalty. Was I a different player after the penalty than I was before? Was I a different player after the game than I was before? Absolutely not. I was exactly the same player. I hadn't gotten any worse. Um, and uh, I think a lot of players, you know, they play in a bad game um, and they start thinking that they're a bad player. No game is make or break for you. No one game, no one training session, no one play is make or break for your career. The most impressive thing about the best players in the world is their consistency. It's not the best play they've ever made. It's that they've made, you know, they've played multiple seasons and been excellent while making mistakes at the same time. Um, So recognizing that mistakes don't change you um, was something that was really helpful for me uh, because I feel like a lot of the time, and I think, and it helps a lot, even, you know, within a single game, because say I get the ball uh, early on and I miss a, miss a chance early on. um, Then, after I miss that chance, um, if I'm if I'm thinking, oh, I'm a bad player, I'm gonna miss the next chance. I'm gonna miss the chance after that. But if I'm able to say I missed a chance, doesn't doesn't mean I'm more likely to miss again. I'll get the ball. I'll play with confidence the next time I do. Uh, so that was something that was really really helpful for me uh, recognizing the mistakes 
you know, only define you if you, if you let them define you. Yeah. Any, any other like tr- tips or tricks that you use? Like, do you visualize, did you do that before games? Um, I know you talk a lot about it on TikTok, but I, as, as an athlete, it's something I never did. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. What did, did I don't you know. have I feel any... like back, back originally you told me that it didn't do much way back. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time I've really thought about it. Um, <laughs> well, well, I, think... I'm, I feel like now you've said that it helps a lot. Uh, like, de- I mean, obviously everything's depending on the player. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what I, what we had talked about at that point was um, I think Tiger Woods, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. came out with a book. That's exactly. And that's he, exactly what it was. And he said that he, never used visualization, uh, that it didn't work for him. It didn't help him at all. Now, the, the thing about mental training is there are multiple different strategies that you can use, um, and not all of them will benefit every player. Um, I've talked about you know a bunch of different strategies. I can guarantee that one of them will work for any person. I have never met an athlete where I, you know, gave them 10 different strategies and none of them helped at all. Um, some don't like visualization. Some don't like self-talk because they think it, it's like, a uh, like I'm a good player. I'm doing Like they think it's like too, uh, kind of cheesy or something. Some people don't no, like, it should be cocky uh, yeah. like Zlatan. Yeah, true. To be arrogant. <laughs> You're so good because yeah yeah it's it's just it's it's highly what i found is it's highly individualized um so for so i i don't love visualization that much for me personally um what i i think self-talk for me helps a ton um so you know telling myself that i will be the best player on a field uh, telling myself that I'm, you know, an incredible player watching my own highlights with, you know, while, while telling myself that helps a lot. Um, certain things help a lot less. Um, obviously watching my own highlights, uh, is a kind of a form of visualization, but, um, I, I use it more as more as self-talk than, uh, than anything else more to like hype me up than to ima- actually imagine that I'm, uh, playing better. So let's, uh, let's start. So I have a, a couple different, um, areas kind of to go to and different strategies to help with different things. Um, so let's start by just talking a little bit about, um, how sport is a stressful environment and, uh, kind of like why our experiences with that. Um, and then we'll, we'll move on to a couple different ones. So the, yeah, I mean, I've played for multiple different teams. We've all played at a, at a decently high level at different times. Um, and I'm sure felt, uh, felt the pressure. Um, and one, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. And then I'll talk about how I kind of figured out dealing with that. So yeah. Talk about how much pressure you felt at different times in your career. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely is a lot of pressure. I mean, especially as you start, getting getting to higher and higher levels it's not just you it's not just the team it's not just the coach it's not just the organization of your team but like you have fans coming through you have people getting paid on your team you're maybe getting paid um people are doing this your yeah your teammates are doing this as a job you know they they're gonna demand everything from you um so it does get stressful Um, And especially if you're training every day or every night and, you know, especially maybe you have school to go to, maybe you have uh, like a job to do. It's just a lot. And if you're, if you're spreading yourself thin or getting overwhelmed, it's, it's going to show, you know? Yeah. And another thing, when, once you get into the higher levels, be it even college soccer yet professional levels, there's a lot more expected out of you as a player and that can really quickly get to you. And there's a quote from my pro indoor coach that reminds me, and he was 
talking about back when he played in the old, old school MISL for a team called the Detroit Rockers. And he says his coach came up to him and asked him how many goals or assists he had that game. And he told him zero. And his coach responded, why the F am I paying you? And that type of pressure, I mean, at that level, I mean, you're expected to produce. You step on the field, you're expected to score a goal or get an assist. And even though he very likely played very well in defensive aspects of the game, passing, dribbling, his coach expected him to score. And that's something that, I mean, that quote stood out to me as well, because even though I think my coach did notice other aspects of the game, when he told that story, he didn't say that I'm different than that coach. So, yeah. <laughs> but, so like, I did think that whenever I stepped on the field, it's like, well, I, I've got to produce to keep my spot on the team. And if I don't produce, well, that's not good enough. And that can really get to you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of pro uh, Wador, Denver, Denver Avalanche, was it? I forget. What is it? Denver Avalanche, yes. It's 1980, 81. That's uh, Sky's dad. Uh, and that, that's the, the picture of the picture of them. <laughs> as as far as the rockers go, are these people who are rocking to rock music? Or am I envisioning I actually, rocking like a group chair? Of rocking chairs. Yeah, I that's think, what I thought. I think it was I think it was because of Motown. Detroit and Motown music. Uh, Okay. So they're so rocking. It's not rocking chairs. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what I, think I was rock, hoping for. I think rocking chairs would be better. Um, the team doesn't have a bench. Everyone's just on rocking chairs on the sidelines. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, so, they're probably all in rocking chairs now because they're all old. True. This was like, I mean, the league ended in the early '90s. <laughs> that version of the MISL, at least, or that hey, team. I, I like a good rocking chair and I'm only 27. I'm just uh, throwing that out there. I enjoy one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, so, but no, it's, it's all, it, it boils down to results a lot of the time, you know, uh, like you were saying, goals, assists, clean sheets. Um, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not producing that, then yeah, why would you have a starting spot? Yeah. Like even, even high school uh, team, I mean, to be fair, even youth teams uh, in a lot of places, especially in the U.S., uh, put you know results like super high on the list of priorities when it really shouldn't be. Um, but you know, you start getting to high school, you start really feeling that pressure uh, to perform, to you know, to yeah, to uh, to have results. And um, I think, uh, despite that, you need to kind of not get caught up in playing for goals, playing for assists, playing for, you know, this or that, um, even at a very, very high level, I found that, um, you know, focusing on the end result when it's something you can't control is just not going to help you. Um, you need to, you know, take a step back and focus on things that you can control. So you can control to some degree your performance, but you can't control if you get chances to score and you can't, uh, you know, you're not going to score every chance you get. Um, so one thing I like to tell players is I get a ton of messages from players who are attacking players and they're like, coach, I haven't scored a goal in like 10 games and I'm driving myself crazy. Like I, uh, and the first question I ask is, are you playing badly? Um, and usually they say, I don't think I'm playing any different than I was when I was scoring a lot. I had a season, um, after, after, yeah, I had a really, really good season. Uh, one year when I was playing in England, scored 20 plus goals, um, was players player of the year, top scorer. Um, and then the next year, um, I, in the fall, cause I only played the fall season that year. Cause I got, uh, I broke my foot. Uh, and tore some ligaments in my foot. Uh, but I played 20 games. I only scored four goals. But goals plus assists, I actually had a better ratio than I had the previous year. Um, if you can, you know, if you factor goals plus assists. And I think, like based on how I felt playing um, and you know, how I felt within the team, I thought I was a better player that fall season than I had been the year before. Um, even though I was playing up front. And I had only scored four goals in 20 games um, folk. And it, it took me a while to kind of realize that 
uh, and be like, you know what, I am helping the team, uh, maybe even more than I was last year. Um, you can control your, your own performance. You can't always control, you know, whether the team wins and loses, that's not up to you. There's, you know, 22 players on the field. They're all trying to help their team win. All you can do is help your team win. All you can do is try to play well. You can't guarantee that you'll score goals or assist, um, at the end of the day. Um, so focus on things you can control, not on things that you, that you can't control. And yeah, that comes to another point is let's say you're a striker and we all know strikers are judged by their goal scoring abilities, whether they should be judged for more than that or not. However, as a player, always think about the things that you're doing well, even if it is not finishing. And if I'm doing really good holdup play and I'm bringing my midfielders into the play, maybe the fact that I'm not scoring goals is not as important because I'm helping bring other players into the play that they can create opportunities. Maybe I'm pressuring really well up front and I'm causing the other team to make mistakes. Maybe my runs are so good that I'm drawing defenders away from the other players that are getting their opportunities to score. And that actually is a point. One of the last games I played in pro indoor I had no statistics of note, maybe some tackles, but like Mm. no goals, no assist. But one goal, I made the run that took the defender with me and made my teammate wide open for an easy goal. And if I don't make that run, he doesn't score. Now, the average person in the stands doesn't notice that. I'm not even sure if my coach noticed that. He should have. A good coach would. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He probably, he was a good coach, so he probably did. But like... (laughs) Things like that matter, and you'll see that. And you'll see small stretches with even the best players in the world, like Ronaldo or Messi. It's like, oh, you're playing against Lionel Messi. We have to focus on him so other players will get into the game and other players will be open to score opportunities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, there's, and I think, like, as long as the team is, is being successful and you're, you're playing your part in that, like, obviously if your team is scoring no goals ever and you're playing up front and you are getting the ball, like, you know, maybe, maybe things need to change a little bit and you or like, you're missing tons and tons of chances. Um, then we can talk about that and how to fix that. Um, but you know, just telling me that you haven't scored, but, but I mean, you're playing up front and your team is scoring like you know, three, four, five, depending on the level goals, every game, you're probably doing something to help that. You're probably not just standing there because your team probably wouldn't be successful if you were. Um, <laughs> a good, a good, a good current example that some of our listeners might be aware of is Roberto Firmino for Liverpool. That's Especially what I was going to say. Last season, yeah. he, he was heavily criticized for not scoring goals, but there's a reason Jurgen Klopp always kept confidence in him. He kept yeah. creating opportunities, creating goals, and he's kind of redefined some of the center forward position for Liverpool in recent years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and another thing uh, that I wanted to talk about, bringing it back to you know how high, what a, uh, how much pressure is in playing sport at a high level. You want that pressure. You want to be playing in front of. You know, I mean, at, at, at younger levels at youth games and stuff, you're playing in front of like parents and like, that's it. Um, and then you get to high school and still probably mostly just parents. Uh, and then you get to college and you're playing against, you know, in front of more people, or you play professionally, you're playing against, uh, you know, in front of fans and, you know, in big stadiums and stuff like you want that. I know that they're like, yes, of course there's added pressure that comes with that, but it's not pressure that you uh, you want to run away from like you, that pressure is there and you've been working, you know, maybe for 10, 20, you know, years, decades to get to that level where you can play with pressure. So don't, don't act like, you know, it's, uh, it's something that like, is like weighing on you. It is a privilege to play for a team in a league where people care about what you're doing, where, you know, random people care about how you play. That's a privilege. And yes, you know, this, this pressure that comes with that, but that's, that's what you want. And a lot of players just never take the time to just, 
stop for a second and realize, you know what, I'm playing in front of a thousand people or, you know, even more than that. But that like, that's what I want. That's, that's what I, that's why I've been trying to, you know, go pro. Uh, and all of a sudden they get there and they're like, I don't want this anymore. You do just take a minute and, and, uh, and breathe and, uh, and realize that, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be in that situation. What's the most people you guys have ever played uh, in front of? Do you think? I don't know the the promotion to Segunda B. I guess I didn't. I wasn't didn't even play. That was just my team. <laughs> I was just there. Um, I'm trying to think. Probably one of the games for like the the Periferia in Greece, like the region team when we played the. Oh, final, true. Played yeah, the yeah. Close stadium. There were a lot of people there. How many do you think? A couple thousand or? Yeah, probably, some, probably something like that. I mean, unfortunately, pro indoor crowds are quite small. So yeah. a couple thousand is probably the most. Um, our home games, we actually averaged very low attendance. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so it was like so 500, 600 people per game. But I mean, it's still a crowd and there's still yeah, people. Yeah, that's a crowd. I mean, that's a crowd. I yeah, mean, if we, we do have to American... Uh, American soccer is kind of funky in that way. I I remember after playing professional soccer, I was in Atlanta and there was the NASL team, which was the second division of the MLS at the time, Atlanta Silverbacks. And then there was Georgia State University and Georgia State University would have literally double the fans that the professional (laughs) team did. Yeah. And, but that's, that's the way American sports work. I mean, even college football has more fans than NFL games. It's just going to, we like our amateur sports yeah. here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, try- I'm trying to think probably, mm-hmm. probably with Ambilonia Cos, maybe in, in Gama or maybe, maybe yeah, our promotion. promotion. Yeah, probably. Cause that, that was like, that had a bunch of people. That was a, that was that a was fiesta afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like the whole, cause I remember everyone on the pitch afterwards and it was pretty packed. So that was probably, uh, probably a decent, a decent crowd, you know, also in England, when, uh, when I played for, um, uh, obviously I was playing, you know, non-league there. Um, uh, but then also for the, for the university team. And when I played varsity against Kiel, that was like, there were a lot of people there, both stands. Um, that was, and like fireworks that that was, that was pretty Yeah, that was wild. (laughs) Uh, eating a a nice sausage as i watched the game (laughs) yeah it was a beautiful Uh, moment yeah um all right um so we've talked a little bit about that and we've talked a little bit about how um you know single mistakes don't uh don't mean that much um i want to move on to um to nerves um so um a lot of players experience nerves, uh, you know, before games. Um, and, uh, it's something that I think there's this huge misconception about. Um, so I told this story recently on Instagram, but I've actually thrown up before games sometimes because I was so nervous, uh, you know, to, to go and play with them. And this is an issue I had, um, you know, a decent amount actually. Um, and I would often throw up get out on the field and feel completely fine and play very, very well. Um, Experiencing nerves, even extreme nerves before games does not mean that you will play badly. Um, One, uh, one story that I I found out recently uh, was either of you know who Bill Russell is? Basketball player. Yeah. yeah. He used to throw up before games and he won more NBA titles than, anybody else i believe uh 11 titles yeah he's on that like, yeah. celtics team that just yeah. swept everybody yeah and yeah and he was one of the one of the big uh i think he won like four or five M- mvps um mvps he shut MVPs. down wilt chamberlain which was not yeah. an easy task yeah true um so i think a lot of people think that you know like as you go to higher and higher levels players are always you know more calm before games they never have nerves. They don't have thoughts of, you know, self-doubt and all of this. I think that uh, if, you, if you look at some of the best athletes in the world, they definitely have nerves before games. They just realize that 
Nerves don't mean I'm going to play worse. I have nerves. Of course I do because I'm doing something I care about. Um, really, it's just excitement. I think just realizing that nerves aren't necessarily a bad thing and that actually, if you look at the evidence, experiencing some level of nerves before games helps you play better. Uh, I think realizing that has been super helpful to some athletes that I've talked about. And most of them are like, what? Are you kidding me? Of course, nerves are going to make me play worse. And it really doesn't work like that. And on the point that people thinking that higher level athletes don't get nervous, I would actually argue that in some more. ways, higher level athletes get more nervous. Like the games that you don't get nervous on, I remember playing as like really a little kid before you got into true competitive club you soccer or high school were. soccer. Exactly. Those were the days you just stepped out on the field and like, you either were having fun or you were waiting for your juice packet after the game, one of the two. And those are the only times in my life that like, there's no nerves. Like, and now, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I have nerves stepping out to play pickup sometimes. I mean, am I really as good as I think I am? Am I really going to perform? Do the players out there think I'm good? Do they think I suck? And that always is in the back of my head, no matter how confident I am, no matter how many goals I score, no matter how well I play. And the best thing I can think to do is back to what we said earlier, think of things I am doing well that I'm clearly doing well and just play. And remember that I'm there by my own choice and because I love the sport. Yeah, definitely. D, any experiences with nerves before games? Or were um, you a lot more calm and collected than me? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, definitely you feel nerves. Um, then again, at the end of the day, like Noblet said, you're there to have fun, you know? No matter what level you're at, you're there because you really enjoy the game. Uh, so I think you just got to remember that definitely the most important thing yeah, yeah and that's that's going to be a recurring theme that <laughs> i'm going to do every single week how i think it's fun and fun yeah. is the most important thing but yeah it really that... is i mean a lot of people could think it's corny it's like oh if your training's fun you're not training hard it's like no the only reason i'm here is i think this is fun yeah if i didn't think it was fun it i would do something else yeah hundred percent <laughs> that's why i like this for you and me <laughs> <laughs> i uh i think that like uh it's so important because i work with a lot of very young players and it's so important to start with enjoyment because if you start with anything else even like start with like development um and make things like less fun like obviously i've talked about how you you know you lose players if you do that but at the same time like if you're working with an 18 year old and you, when you were working with them when they were five or six, you weren't stressing, you know, enjoyment, then they won't have that to fall back on. They might be thinking like, I've played this sport all my life, but have I ever enjoyed it? And they start thinking like, maybe not like, and if you can't think, if you can't, you know, go back to I'm here cause I love it. I think that just creates so much more stress because then really, why are you there? You probably even haven't even gotten to that level, but you know, it's uh, it's nothing to fall back on kind of, you got to start with the foundation of fun. <laughs> I think we also see this on TikTok with the people living the grind, the whole mm -hmm. grind mentality. And the whole point of the grind is that you're in the grinder. It's not fun. You're yeah. in the grind. And like, it's not saying that you, don't have to work hard because I mean, hard work is the one variable you can truly control and every other variable is less controllable. However, like you need to loosen up, have some fun and realize why you're doing this. It's not to be in the grind. It's because you're enjoying what you're doing. And my guess is a lot of these, I live on the grind people, whether it's for soccer sports or whatever thing they're doing. My guess is their grind, one, it's either a show for their TikTok, which in many cases it is a show and it's not real, but the ones that it is real, it might actually hamper their performance because they have to signal that they're on the grind yeah. and that will create more nerves because if they're grinding, why aren't they performing the best at all times when the other guy's out there having fun and he's obviously not on the grind because he's having fun. 
but yeah, it actually works the opposite grind, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best, like like Nobla said earlier, the best games that you've played are probably the games that you've enjoyed. You know, you've been out there and you've been like, every time you get the ball, you're like, you know, you're thinking about what you're good. You're um, like, every time, every time you get the ball, uh, you feel like you're on top of the world. Like anything you try will work and you're enjoying yourself and, you know, every, everything's working out. Uh, and even everything's when you make a mistake, with your teammates. Yeah, yeah. And everything, every, even when you make a mistake, you move on from it super quickly. You know, you're in that, in that kind of um, flow uh, flow state, which is, I, I guess, is another good transition because people talk Mamba about mentality. Yeah. People talk about being like kind of in the, in the flow. I actually don't think that getting in the flow is super difficult. I think the hard part is staying in that state. Um, so this is, uh, I've actually, uh, recently I've been working with athletes in some different sports. Um, and I think that, um, in other sports, it can be even harder. There aren't that many stoppages in a sport like soccer, in a sport like, uh, I don't know, what, what other sports don't have a ton of stuff, maybe like hockey. Rugby. Um, yeah, yes. rugby, yeah. Australian rules football as well. Chess. Chess doesn't stop, you know? Once the timer starts, <laughs> but, you're going. But like every, so. Um, hey, two, can, can I make just a funny point about yeah, chess go for though? Yeah, um, Chess actually might be one of the most stressing sports in, well, I don't know if we want to call it a sport or not. But That's believable. Stressing because apparently like professional chess players, they lose pounds and pounds of body weight just by sweating during the chess game because it is so mentally it. taxing. And oh, yeah. it's abs- actually quite absurd. I remember reading some like article about it and say, like, no, this is, this is crap. My skepticism radar went out the roof roof. But then like, I looked more into it and it's like, yeah, they actually probably do sweat five, 10 pounds in an hour or something like that. And it's like, and you and people un- try to say it's not a sport. Get out of here. <laughs> you ain't burning those calories playing badminton. Although you probably are badminton's wild, but you know what I mean? You ain't burning those playing golf. Yeah. You I ain't losing I, that much weight. I think the, the, the distinction between like, uh, you know, sport and like competition, is like pretty, pretty meaningless. Like, I mean, you're there, there are sports that you don't move like that much. And like, it's more about like decision-making and stuff. I think one, probably one of the reasons that chess is so stressful is that there is no luck involved. It's, it's all you. You control everything. You don't control where your opponent can move, obviously, but you control every move you make. And, you know, there's, pro- there's thousands of moves you can make, I assume, right? Probably. There's six, 16, 16 I'm pieces. I'm not good at checkers, you can move. so you're not going to ask me much about chess. <laughs> every piece and multiple We just ways. play tic-tac-toe with no blitz. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, we um, keep it to that. But, like, but it's, have it's you all Have you seen me tic-tac-toe with soccer? Where you kick the soccer ball oh, against the, the tech toe board? I'm sure uh, I'd no, run the court. I'm sure I'd run the court against both of you. So. <laughs> just just throwing uh, it out there. We'll we'll set it up sometime. Um, yeah, but like you know, it's it's all on you. But um, going back to you know why I brought up other sports is, um, you know, obviously penalties in soccer are can be like very stressful, and it's almost like every play in golf. It's like a set piece in soccer. Like you stop, you have maybe minutes, all right, in between each of your hits. Like uh, it's, and that, that pressure builds. In soccer, you're usually playing, it's harder for that pressure to build because pressure builds more when you're stopped, when you're not doing anything because you can't distract you do a yourself from the pressure. Yeah, yeah, you do a lot more in soccer. You know, you make yeah. one mistake, ten, five seconds later, you have another opportunity. Ball back. To, yeah, exactly. To, yeah. yeah, you know, in golf, like, you do one bad hit. The you're, perfect you're example screwed. of what Cristo is talking about, though, is it's actually an extremely common strategy in both American football and basketball. Say there's an important field goal. Well, the other team calls a timeout. Yeah. That way they make the field goal taker think about the field goal longer. And, that doesn't exist in soccer. If I make a mistake in soccer, even if it is missing a penalty kick, unless the ball goes out of bounds or whatever, and even if it does, the ball's normally back in play in the next 
minute yeah. at most. I mean, it's not really that long of a. I mean, the only the only similar thing with that in soccer right now is VAR, and unfortunately, I never played a high enough level. And recently enough to have VAR yeah. as a problem. <laughs> Actually, I at mean, lo- I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I think like in close games where it's the game is coming to an end, you're you're like your team's kicking the ball out of bounds. You're not just doing that to waste time. You're getting the other team out of their rhythm and out of their flow. So it's harder for them to like counter on you. You know, I think we did that. We did that all the time um, here in Spain and teams because we finished uh, top of the league that year. Uh, but the lower teams that we would lose to, they would do that to us. You know, if the if for 90 minutes they don't let you get in the groove, it's going to be a tough game, you know, because that's, mm-hmm. they want to play like that. They don't want you to have the ball. They don't want you to take your time, circulate, get in your rhythm. They're just going to kick it out and counter. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you do have that in soccer. I, yeah, I, I would just say, like, obviously you have it. It's just to a, to a lower degree because obviously, you know, I, I, I know nothing about golf, but like, you know, like baseball, if you're like stepping up, you're, you're going to um, take a couple of swings, um, you know, and then you don't do that you know, you go back and you wait. Um, so, you know, that, and that pressure builds. And what if you mess up, what if you struck out and then you have to go wait for your next turn and, you know, the whole time you're thinking and you're thinking and the pressure's building. Um, and at the same time, it's harder to, you know, even if you, uh, you know, you do really, really well, you hit a home run or something, then like, you're like feeling great, but then you go sit and you don't do anything for a couple minutes. Yeah. That momentum kind of stops. I hit a coach in Greece uh, when I was playing for the IL Academy who got I, like the thing that annoyed him more than anything else was referees who called everything. So like the tiniest things uh, would be fouls. The tiniest things where he could have like let us play on would be, you know, called back or let the other team play on would be called fouls. And he would, um, uh, I forget, oh, I forget what he called it, but you know, that, uh, he, he would get so annoyed at that when, when there'd be a foul, like every, every uh, minute or every 30 seconds or whatever, the ball would go out of play. And he, I remember him like, you know, <laughs> going, going insane because he just wanted us to play and get into the game and get in that uh, kind of flow state. Yeah. And to the point that Cristo is making, I think sports to where you end up being the individual in the spotlight, the only person in the spotlight. And this is actually why penalty kicks in soccer are the one thing that's just extremely nerve wracking. But the example I have actually is in another sport that I've competed in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. There is nothing on earth that has racked my nerves quite like unracking a heavy one rep max squat attempt while mm-hmm. everyone in the room's eyes are in you. I'm having to pay attention to a judge giving me commands on how I do the lift and I'll unrack and my whole body is shaking. I feel myself shaking underneath the weight because of nerves. It's not because the weight's heavy. Normally I actually hit heavier lifts in training and yeah, it's really, really hard and you have to really, really kind of zone in and concentrate and don't stare at anyone's faces because yeah. <laughs> if you do, you'll lose yeah. your shit. Yeah, I had a. Uh, it can be tough when I'm there doing triple the weight just for my warm up next to you too. You know, yeah, actually, one. actually, like uh, <laughs> that's 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 interesting because like um, I know a lot of people are like, you know, you should pick one sport and play that sport exclusively. Um, and I kind of used to be like that. Um, and obviously, if you're taking you know soccer very very seriously. Um, needs to be a priority. You need to be training pretty much daily. Um, but at the same time, I think that a great form of st- uh, stress relief is playing different sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know a lot of, uh, <laughs> I know a lot of really great athletes, um, have like, uh, they play golf as well. Um, and obviously if you were a certain Welsh player or, um, Argentinian, um, you can take that to the extreme. Um, and it's not a good thing, but, um, uh, and, but if you're, you know, something that I used to do to, you know, uh, relieve my stress kind of is, uh, 
on my days off, you know, forget, forget about soccer for a minute, go out and shoot some hoops, even though I'm terrible at basketball. Um, absolutely horrendous. Uh, it was just fun. Um, and I do it and I'd be nice and relaxed and I'd be, you know, missing every shot, but I'd be laughing about it. And, you know, like, cause I don't expect myself to be good at basketball. I can just kind of chill. Yeah. And I would say this mm. just goes for hobbies across the board. And I would go as far as say you have to have some hobby after outside mm-hmm. of soccer. And it needs to be a hobby that you don't necessarily have to take it super, super serious, but you have to actually love doing it. And yeah. um, a lot of players play music. I mean, there are people who play an instrument or they do something else like this, and that can be a good stress relief. There are examples like I actually do multiple other sports like recreationally for mm-hmm. fun like i have a kickboxing heavy bag in my basement as well and i love doing that to get in a little extra cardio and just stress relief and it's fun um nothing I'm like not, punching something or kicking yeah something. I, yeah I imagine not, all day all day little things are just annoying annoying noblet and it's building up he's building up and he goes home he just throws his jacket and goes downstairs just beats up this poor bag yeah and i mean a heavy bag's actually like literally one of the best stress reliefs because whatever you wanted to punch that day you get to punch just it's imaginary and you're punching a bag but the other thing is is like I think there's even some argument for this, even from a athletic perspective, just bettering yourself as an athlete, because as much as soccer has to be the priority, if soccer is your goal and that's what you're playing either competitively or professionally, having another form of athletic endeavor will allow you to get some training in that will have indirect carryover to your sport, but it will also train your muscles through different movements, which if you're only playing soccer, certain muscles will get more wear and tear and won't be recovering as well to where when I do kickboxing, well, my muscles are working in a very different way. So they're not wearing and tearing in the same way. So I actually can get a good workout in and not hurt my recovery as bad as necessarily another soccer session during that day. Yeah. And like, this is something I was super skeptical of for a long time. Um, and I was, you know, I would be like, you know, all, all I play is soccer pretty much, uh, that I, I don't think, uh, that's a, like a bad thing. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not like you need to be playing a lot if you want to play at a high level. Um, but playing one sport is associated with higher risk of injury, uh, which is why it's very important that, you know, if you're one sport athlete, you know, it's even more important that you're resistance training. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, it's, it's good to, to mix it up. Uh, a little bit and do something like that on the side it you know Zlatan does Taekwondo or you know whatever different athletes do picking his teammates in that yeah true um and you know it's it's it'll help you be a better player you don't have to take it super seriously but you uh I think you know doing something else competitively uh and you know playing another sport just just a bit um you know once a week or every other week or something it can help for sure Go play yeah, some it, ping pong. Go play some some badminton. You know, yeah. go ice skating. Yeah, so fun. Fun. you like, actually live a you little. actually you actually see professional teams get really into ping pong. Like they'll have ping pong oh, dude, I... going on and all that stuff. And yeah, that's fine. There's nothing <laughs> we had wrong ping pong tournament at at, uh, at Hartwick. We, we had some ping pong tournament, <laughs> and we did uh, we did Zumba too. We did like Zumba classes like every week. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> we used to play in our we had to be at like the the stadium like an hour and a half before the session even started um i said we had this little trampoline and we'd play our own little version of like spike ball but you had to kick kick the ball and we we got so into that like people people were getting injured right and left from this game and the coach had to ban it because he was like dude i'd let you play but you all get too intense about this it, you're not allowed to play anymore. Like, oh, uh, I uh, I had a I had a question I wanted to ask uh, both of you um, because something that comes up a lot when I when I talk about uh, you know mental training and dealing with nerves and all of this stuff is you know how you want to be clutch like clutch players clutch athletes. So who do you think 
All right. And then I'll tell you why you're wrong. Who do you think is the most clutch athlete of all time? Not to Busquets. <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay. D, anything? Oh, athlete. Any athlete? Any athlete. Ooh. He just said athlete. He didn't say soccer. Does that? Yeah, he no, didn't no, say I'd, soccer. Because oh. I, I would have to say me for soccer. I'm going to give Jordan. Yeah, I'd have to say myself as well. Uh, most clutch athlete of all times. Uh, I don't know. Baker, League of Legends. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, and then I wanted to ask you, what does clutch mean to you? See, now this is where it's tricky because the way you made it sound, I was being like consistent. But I feel like if you're clutch, at least personally to me, it means you come in at the perfect moment always and like you save the day, you know, that's what yeah. that's what comes in to me. Yeah. And that's actually why I brought up Jordan, because there's so many famous game winning shots. But exactly what Chris is going to tell me is like when he missed the three pointer against the Pacers and didn't make the finals. I'm, I'm not going to tell you like that clutch athlete. I just meant somebody who can drive a stick car. That's all I wanted to <laughs> know. So I wanted, to do so, I wanted to do something very, very special. And Lewis read, Hamilton. And read the intro to a chapter uh, from oh, my Christo's book, own book. Called uh, Become Clutch. Now, oh. chapter four. Who's it Become, dedicated to? Uh, not you. Um, <laughs> <all the bear. laughs> probably Sky. <laughs> um, we'll see. Um You'll get a mention. Don't worry. I'll include a story about in you. the IAW podcast. Yeah, true. Um, okay. So, uh, and I'm very happy that you said Michael Jordan. I was hoping someone would. All right. Chapter four, become clutch. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Archilocos. What is, uh, who is the most clutch athlete of all time? There are many answers you could give to this question. Cristiano Ronaldo, Tom Brady, Derek Jeter, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant. I could go on and on. One name does seem to top most lists, though. Michael Jordan. And yet I am here to tell you that he was not clutch, that none of them were, or at least that clutch does not mean what you think it does. So how do most people use clutch? When most people say clutch, they mean someone who always shows up in the big moments, that they rise to the occasion, that they perform better than ever in the most high-pressure environments. And that is just not what any of the, that, these athletes did. They did not turn it on when it mattered. They just never turned it off. What was Michael Jordan's all-time shooting percentage? 49.7%. Damn. What was his all-time shooting percentage in the playoffs? 48.7%. Still, damn. How about when taking game-winning shots? He went 9 of 18. 50%. Damn. And yet these numbers are all pretty much the same. Michael Jordan made about as many of his game-winning shots as you would expect him to if you watched him play in the regular season or in the playoffs. By most people's definition of clutch, Michael Jordan was not clutch. What was he? He was consistent. If I had been lucky enough to watch Michael Jordan train with the Bulls, I am confident that I would have watched him put away about 50% of his shots. If I had been even luckier to watch him train alone, I am sure I would have seen him put away slightly more if the shots were unopposed. And the same if he had a trainer or teammate try to get in his way. Most people think that the greatest athletes show up when it matters, but that is not true. The greatest athletes show up all the time. Every time they set foot on the court or the field, they are ready to perform. I'm not saying they will not have bad games, that they will not have bad training sessions, but the thing that truly sets them apart is their consistency. Thoughts? So basically, I was correct. Basically, yeah. I mean... 
I, I have to agree with that as well because, I mean, the reality is, is we're all humans. Nobody steps up and hits the game winner every single time. And mm-hmm. the best person hitting game-winning shots is basically just going to be your best shooter in your practice games, your regular season games. The guy who hits the shot in the middle of the game with no buzzer to beat is probably going to be the best guy to hit the shot at the end of the game when you have to score and there is a buzzer to beat. It's, I mean, the only real difference is pressure and the most consistent players. I mean, this is something that like, I also come back to when you get better at a sport, you should get more confident at it. And this will help with your nerves and the best players in the world. And this is also why a lot of your best players like Cristiano Ronaldo and Zlatan Ibrahimovic are probably my two best examples of this. People think of them as cocky. People think of them as arrogant. And they are, but they're arrogant because they're good and they know they're good. And this actually plays into their how to mentally approach the game. I, if Ibrahimovic steps on the field and he starts he quits referring to himself as Laton in third person as the lion and all these things. That's the day we know that Ibrahimovic no longer has it. Because yeah. as long as he is Laton and he is the lion and he is, doesn't deal with sheep and all that stuff, he's still going to go out into Serie A and score 15, 20 goals a season, even when he's 60 years old. I mean, that's just how it works. Yeah. I, I think like, the big thing for me is like a lot of people think that like great athletes, um, you know, they, when the pressure's on, they play better, but actually what usually happens is they play the same and everyone else plays worse. Pressure mm-hmm. affects most people. Most people play a lot better in training than they do in games. Most people play a lot better at pickup than they do in official games. Most people let the pressure get to them. What sets the greatest athletes apart isn't that they rise to the occasion. It's that they're able to maintain the same level, whatever they're doing, because they don't let the pressure get to them. It was like actually crazy to me looking at those statistics of, uh, you know, Michael Jordan uh, shooting percentage. um, And they were all like, so it was like so consistent. I was like, that's what, that's what clutch is because, you know, it doesn't matter if he's in training. Well, I mean, I would, I would assume that it's fairly similar in trade, but it doesn't matter if it's a regular season game or a, uh, you know, a, a playoff game, or if he's shooting the winning shot, you know what you'll get if you pass the ball to Michael Jordan, because he's, you know, 50% chance he's going to make that shot. Obviously it'd be a little bit different depending on the kind of shot and all of that. But, you know, every time he gets the, he gets the ball, you know what you're getting, which is, which is the big, like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, you can, you can count on him to score, but he doesn't just score in the knockout rounds of the champions league. You know, he's, he scored a hat trick against, it was Atletico Madrid, right. To turn around that tie. But how many hat tricks mm-hmm. has he scored against, you know, random teams that no one's ever heard of, or that no one's ever heard of that. Like, you know, that, uh, small well, teams, probably. Yeah. Small teams, teams like, that aren't playing. How many times has he been in a game where they're winning five nil and he nicks one of the goals? Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, the best players don't just step up in the big games. They get their goals in when they're playing minnows. And yeah. I would even say that this is true for certain more, what I would consider role players, not what we consider clutch. There are guys who are less talented that just understand how to be consistent. They have mentally got themselves. And then there are super talented players that basically crap themselves when they step on the pitch in real games. Um, There was a player on my pro indoor team who in training, I remember the coach telling us he's the best player on the team in training. He would do step overs, beat our starting players one V one. Like it was nothing. And he never got picked in the games after a while, which I think was not, the correct decision but it was because every time he stepped on the field in the real game he would just lose possession he would miss his mark on defense and all this stuff and it was because mentally he just didn't step up to the challenge in when it when it mattered he couldn't be consistent and there were other guys on the team who were not nearly as talented as him but they produced they managed to play consistently well and they would actually perform better in the game even if they weren't as talented 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's training players and there's game players. Uh, but one thing that I think, um, you know, I had a coach who would always ask us, like, are you a weekday player or are you a weekend player? Because weekend is like, you know, that's when most of the games happen. So, you know, are you going to show up for me just during the week or are you going to show up for me on the weekend? Um, and I kind of like I actually kind of disagree with that because I think that uh, what I just said, you know, good players show up all the time. It's not just about showing up on the weekend. It's not just about showing up at the game. Um, so kind of a switch of perspective for a lot of players. If you're training well and you're underperforming in games, don't look at it as, oh no, I have this huge problem that I'm underperforming in games. No, you've taken the first step to performing in games by performing in training. Now you just need to figure out how to take the second, uh, you know, and that, that's something that, you know, kind of help, help me realize, you know, you, you keep taking training seriously and it's not just about, just about games. If you train well, if you train how you want to play, you know, and you, uh, you figure out dealing with pressure by, you know, employing some of the strategies that we talked about. And then I talk about on, uh, you know, TikTok and Instagram and all of that, you will figure it out and you will be the same player in training that you are in games. And that's what you want. You don't need to be better you just need to be as good you'll be ahead of 99% of players because 99% of players play better at training and in my humble I would, opinion <laughs> I, I would say <laughs> a, a lot of this really you just have to remember I mean the story you have about playing with your brother and your little pickup games and your coach oh, yeah. didn't watch I mean this is the perfect example is like what about a game is different than practice? Well, in practice, you're playing and you're not under as much pressure. That's the only difference. So when you step on the field in a real game, you have to tell yourself, it's like, this is still just soccer. This is what I love to do. This is why I'm here. It's I, The fact that there are people in the stands that will be upset if we lose or might even boo me if I have a bad performance, which fans should not boo their own team's players, by the way. But the reality is is that you have to just kind of try to get into a mental state to where he's like yeah this isn't actually that different from how i play in training i mean the fact that the players across the field i don't know and i don't see on a regular basis is not the point the point is it's still soccer if you met those guys they'd still just be guys like on your team and you're there because you love the sport and you're and you have fun playing the sport. I mean, that's what you do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we'll wrap this episode up. Obviously, tons more to talk about. So, you know, we'll do another resistance training episode at some point. We'll do another mental training episode at some point. Um, next week, we're going to talk about recovery, which will be a nice controversial topic. Um, I'm yeah. sure it'll be some oh, good. good. Uh, yeah, good. I get, I get to rip off on all this. I get to rip on everyone's favorite recovery techniques that don't yeah. work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which and is that basically... episode will be sponsored by foam rollers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Get one for every day and yeah. use it 20, 24 hours a day. Foam rolling and Chinese traditional cupping medicine. Oh, true. Yeah. And acupuncture. And acupuncture. Yeah. yeah all of those. Oh, I have some good stories about that stuff too. Um, so before we wrap it up, a couple quick shout outs. Um, Obviously, I'll put, uh, you know, links to Dimitri's social media and uh, Noblet's social media in the description uh, and my own, of course. Um, my I will release the episode uh, two days early on Patreon. So if you want to get it early, if you just can't wait to listen to this uh, exciting. Well, you're already listening to it. But for future episodes, um, if you uh, if you want to sub to me on Patreon, you can do that. Um, I also uh, dropped some merch. Um, so, you know, people like Noblet who are too poor to afford shirts, um, can, uh, can get some. Um, so yeah, I'm wearing it right now. I'm proving always, um, couple shirts. If you go to the, the link in my bio, uh, want to support the podcast, I'll make sure, you know, everyone on the podcast, uh, gets one, um, and we'll, uh, we'll figure that stuff out. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, oh, I was supposed to wear the, the tie-dye one. Someone told me to wear the tie-dye one, but that's okay. Next week. Um, one, one, one last thing before it. we end off there. Go save the polar bears. And going with our with our theme, 
less than 2% of polar bear hunts are successful and they keep going. So they don't get stressed. <laughs> they have a lot more fat storages than humans. So success rate, you, you can, you can keep going. You can keep grinding, you know? Yeah. It's not a, don't, Be don't a let your, bear. don't let your failed hunts, uh, hunts define you. You know, it's uh if you keep exactly. going, you don't, you don't, you're not a failure until you give up. Good, good place to, to end off uh, and uh, see you next week. Peace. Adios. Thank you.